Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home service marketplace. And they are here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. Have you had a leaky roof? We did, and it was a nightmare. But through Angie, we found an amazing roofer who specialized in flat roofs, and he fixed it right and quickly. Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and in your area. Get started at Angie.com, that's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The app and website are both free to use. That's Angie.com. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. It's a grim day. And the weather is about to crash. It's going down to 14 degrees Fahrenheit in Ukraine. The Russians have cut off all the power and all the heat to city after city after city. This is, um, this is grim. And now they're closing in on Kyiv. So, you know, we'll keep an eye on this. We've got a big program today, a lot to talk about. I want to get into this new Republican plan to raise taxes on working class people and end Social Security and Medicare. You know, for the majority of Americans, uh, you know, the majority are so poor that uh, they barely have to pay income taxes. And, and Rick Scott and the Republican Party have a new plan to raise taxes on those folks. Uh, this is just the latest barrage in the 40-year assault and insults, assaults and insults coming from the GOP to working class people. Also, decline in hate groups shows how deeply extremism has spread. Say, hey, wait a minute, if hate groups are going down, how is that not a good thing? I'll tell you about that in a little bit. Also, Republicans have a white nationalist problem. There's a Florida newspaper that is essentially laying waste to the GOP. We'll talk about that. The U.S. Education Secretary has warned Florida that if uh, Ron DeSantis signs the Don't Say Gay bill, which passed their Senate, he says all schools must follow federal civil rights. And uh, this MAGA Florida senator speaking in support of the Don't Say Gay law says LGBT isn't a permanent thing. What? Also, why isn't the hidden toll of COVID being discussed? It's almost completely evaporated from our conversations. Um, we'll get into that. Chev Jones is going to be with us, Chevron Jones, Ph.D., a uh, Florida politician, about the Don't Say Gay bill. Chevron Jones has an extraordinary story to tell. But I want to start out with this extraordinary new plan that the Republicans are promoting 
There is some dissension. Mitch McConnell has said he's not completely down with it. But uh, by and large, this is the new Republican plan. You keep in mind, it's been, uh, I think, about eight years, maybe nine years, since the Republican Party had an actual platform. When Donald Trump became their nominee in 2016, they just eliminated the platform for all practical purposes. I mean, well, they had the old Republican platform. They took out the anti-Russia stuff from it and the pro-Ukraine stuff. That was Paul Manafort's work. He had worked for Yanukovych in Ukraine, you know, the Putin's toady there. And then he went to work for Donald Trump for free to run the campaign. And surprise, surprise, they, they took out all the, well, anyhow. So, uh, but since then, in 2020, they didn't even have a platform. No platform. I guess it's been six years. No platform. They just, you know, whatever Donald Trump wants, you know, we, we're good with dear leader. Well, stepping into this breach comes Senator Rick Scott. He's the second richest man in the United States Senate behind Mitt Romney, who may well be a billionaire. Rick Scott is a multi, you know, 100 millionaire, uh, or at least 100 millionaire. And uh, or so 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 we are told. And uh, you may remember him as the guy who who's ran the company that was convicted of the largest Medicare fraud in the history of America and then took the money and ran for governor of Florida. Uh, I believe it was eight years he was governor of Florida. During that entire time, he refused to expand Medicaid. So low income working class people, working people in in Florida did not have health insurance. Uh, still don't. I mean, you know, Ron DeSantis is still doing this, too. Um, but, you know, that's that's kind of his history. Then he became then he took his his uh, his money and and used it to run for the Senate. And now, like I said, he's the second richest guy in the Senate. Romney famously said back in 2012 when he was running against Obama in a private fundraiser, he said there are 47 percent who are with him, who are dependent upon government, who believe that they are victims, who believe the government has the responsibility to care for them, who believe that they're entitled to health care, to food, to housing, you name it. These are the people who pay no income taxes. And Mitt Romney was right. In 2012, 47% of Americans made so little money that they didn't hit the threshold to pay income taxes. Now, this is, this is where it gets really amazing. And I've, in, the, the piece is over at HartmanReport.com. Of course, today it's titled Revealed, New GOP Plan to Raise Taxes on Working People and End Social Security and Medicare. And there are links to all the sources on this. But what, what I, and when I was researching this yesterday afternoon, when I was writing this piece, I was astonished to discover that in 1982 or 83, you'd have to, I'd have to check the link, uh, you know, before Reagan's policies really bit the middle class, I mean, he had just begun his war on unions. We still had about a third of Americans having a good union job, and union jobs are always the, the, the wage floor setter in communities. And so you had another third of Americans who had the equivalent of a good union job. So two-thirds of Americans had a good union job or its equivalent in the first couple of years of the Reagan administration. And so in 1983, his, his uh, third year in office, I guess you could say, um, only 18% of Americans made so little money that they didn't pay income taxes. Reagan then flattened wages. We've, we've seen wages completely flat for the last 40 years, and as a result of that, inflation has gone along. As a result of that, what you could do with one wage earner in 1980 now takes two wage earners to maintain that same standard of living. In other words, individual, you know, household income has remained steady since the Reagan revolution. 
And what's so weird is if you search for this information on, on you know, using search engines, you'll find almost nothing but household income. It's really, really hard to find the individual income numbers. But individual incomes have gone down, uh, particularly in the face of inflation. And the consequence of this is that 18% of Americans made so little money that they needed to pay income taxes in, in 1983. It went up to 47% as Reaganism really bit Americans, 47% in 2012 when Mitt Romney was running. It's now 61%. 61% of Americans make so little that they don't have to pay federal income taxes. Now, Rick Scott wants to fix that. Now, you would think the rational way to fix that would be to reverse 42 years of Reaganism and say, you know, we're going to go back to having unions and good union jobs, and, uh, but, the, but the Republicans hate that. You would think that, you know, if you want more people to pay income taxes, make sure that they get better pay, because once they pop up above the standard deduction, they have to start paying taxes. But no, Republicans call that wage inflation, and they hate that. They don't like that at all. Alan Greenspan, back in 1997, told the Wall Street Journal, you know, that his principal job was to maintain a certain minimum necessary level of worker insecurity. Right. So what's their plan? To get that 61% of Americans who don't pay income taxes to pay income taxes? Is it to raise their wages? No. It's to put a new tax bracket in for poor people. Yes, Rick Scott and the Republicans want everybody to pay taxes. In addition to that, he is proposing that the IRS cut their workforce in half. Now, they, even today, they, you know, because uh, uh, Trump laid off about 20% of the IRS workforce and, or gave them early retirement, and as a consequence, the IRS has basically stopped auditing the returns of very wealthy people because they're so complex and they take so long. They just don't have the workforce for it. Rick Scott, who's worth you know millions and millions of dollars, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars, he wants to uh, cut 50% of the IRS workforce, uh, obviously, so that they'll stop auditing rich people altogether. He also wants to put a provision in the law that will sunset all federal programs after five years, including Social Security and Medicare. Let that sink in. No more Social Security, no more Medicare. I mean, he's got this 11-point plan. There's a link to it in my article, uh, to his actual plan. And uh, I mean, it's just breathtaking. Raising taxes on 60% of American voters. And, yeah, I mean, you know, I get it that the billionaires like Rupert Murdoch, this is now all over Fox News, by the way. Rick Scott has shown up over 30 times on Fox News in prime time. Uh, not all of them in prime time, but many of them in prime time. And he is just hawking this. Sean Hannity said, I'd lo- I want to applaud you. I'd like to see the House and Senate come together on these issues, make these promises to the American people, get elected, and then fulfill these promises. Right. Vote for Republicans. They want to raise your taxes. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And, and they've got a plan to end Social Security and Medicare in just five years. How's that going to fly? There has been a decline, according to the Southern Poverty Law Center, a decline in the number of hate groups. You would think that that's great news, right? I mean, you know, they've, they've actually, uh, both the number of hate groups and the membership of hate groups have declined in the last couple of years, uh, specifically the last two years, actually. This is their 2021 uh, Year in Hate and Extremism report that they just published. 
But why has it declined? Because the people who were joining hate groups, uh, by and large, these are people who are racist or misogynist or homophobic. These people, instead of joining hate groups, are now becoming Republican activists. Honest to God, this is what's going on. The decline in hate groups is being mirrored by the rise of the participation of the exact same people within the Republican Party. I mean, after all, why join the Klan when you can just join the, the GOP? SPLC, Southern Poverty Law Center uh, analyst Cassie Miller uh, put it very bluntly. She said, extremists are overtaking one of our main political parties. Um, then there's this, this uh, from the, uh, the report, this uh, SPLC report. Uh, by Miller and uh, Rivas. Many Republicans in the moneyed network of ally groups have exploited the big lie of the stolen election of 2020 to enact a number of, uh, an historic number of voter suppression bills that disproportionately disenfranchise voters of color and people in poverty. They've rallied their base against inclusive and anti-racist education, introduced a slew of bills that would allow discrimination against transgender people and gut the teaching of black history. Their, their attempts to ban books are on the rise. This is all coming out of the Republican Party. This is not the Klan. This is the GOP. Republican members of Congress have worked together with open white nationalists and promoted the, the uh, racist great replacement conspiracy theory. You will recall Tucker Carlson has talked about it several times on his program on Fox so-called news. Uh, that's the theory that motivated Tim McVeigh to blow up the Oklahoma building, the Oklahoma federal building back in the 90s and is still animating hate and, and violence in the United States. The Republican Party itself, they note, has welcomed over 100 extremist candidates in the election this fall, so far. You got Congressman Paul Gosar's bizarre anime video in which he's fantasizing about murdering uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Joe Biden. You got Wendy Rogers' speech to the white nationalist group in which she said that they, they need a newly built set of gallows for Democrats and liberals. So, hey, hate groups, we don't need no stinking hate groups. We've got the GOP. The other point I wanted to make, the other story I wanted to share with you very quickly is uh, we're 28 months out into the pandemic, like the old movie uh, 28 Days. Um, a great, uh, by BiblioTeach, a great diary about this over at Daily Kos. Um, hospitals right now, the BA2 variant is starting to spread around the world very rapidly. And uh, both Asian and European hospitals are now seeing a fourth wave. They're starting to see a spike in hospitalizations. It's the, it's the Omicron BA2 variant, which has apparently 10 times the viral load of normal Omicron, which itself is 10 times the viral load of, of Delta. So uh, the, those cases are starting to spike again, which, you know, typically we follow Europe by a couple of months. And that is predicting another surge here in April or May. Uh, the, 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 the study out of Qatar uh, also uh, predicting that. And then there's this issue of long COVID. Nobody seems to be talking about this. And long COVID, I mean, you know, they're talking about the worker shortage. How many of these workers are not showing up because they've got long COVID? It appears that as many as 10% of people who have had COVID will have long COVID, and many of them are disabled by it. It's causing kidney damage and disease. It's causing li fatty liver, liver damage and disease. It's causing lung damage. Obviously, this is the one that we've all known about all along. It seems to be causing type 2 diabetes. It's causing damage to the pancreas. 
uh, it, it causes you know a, a type of chronic fatigue that makes it difficult for people to work. Um, we are on the verge of an explosion, I think, in disability claims and insurance claims. And it just does not seem to be in the media. The, nobody seems to be paying attention to this. Like, okay, we've done this for two years. We don't want to talk about it anymore. I think we need to talk about it. We need to acknowledge this. We need to see what's coming. And we need to figure out a way to, to help these people, particularly those who have been left behind in the Republican states that have not expanded Medicaid and thus have no access, low-income people have no access to health insurance. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally-sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Also, one, one other quick thing. The director of the Central Intelligence Agency, Mr. Burns, William Burns, was testifying before the uh, Senate Intelligence Committee. And I think this is quite interesting, and, th and therefore I want to share it with you. He said that he believes that China, for four reasons, China has been taken aback by what's going on in Ukraine, and this may be problematic, although he doesn't think that this is going to break the Russian-Chinese alliance or relationship. Going forward, it'll be problematic for them. He said, first of all, that specifically President Xi Jinping is uh, unsettled by Putin's actions in Ukraine, in part... In fact, in large part, because Chinese intelligence didn't predict this was going to happen, that it would get bogged down, that it would be a two-week war or longer. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're on the 15th day now. And also Russian intelligence didn't. And so that number one. Second, he said uh, he's concerned about the reputational damage because Russia's reputation is just in the toilet right now worldwide. Uh, you know, they're, they're just they're, they're trying to spin this. You've got uh, Russia and uh, uh, Tucker Carlson saying, oh, yeah, there's a bioweapons lab in Ukraine, and that's, that's why uh, the Russians are invading. Right. 
Well, yeah, there, there are, I mean, like with most developed countries, uh, there are labs that deal with toxic substances and things, but this is, I mean, this is complete BS. Um, uh, so there's the reputational damage. And third, by the economic, this is, I'm quoting from uh, CI Director Burns, third, by the economic consequences at a time when growth rates in China, as you look over the rest of this year, are lower than they've been in 30 years. And then he says, he continues, he says, uh, this is his testimony before Congress. He says, and fourth, I think because President Xi is probably a little bit unsettled as he watches the way in which President Putin has driven more Americans and Europeans more closely together and strengthened the transatlantic alliance in ways that would have been a little hard to imagine before the invasion began. So, interesting news. And I just find it fascinating that the head of our CIA is saying that. So uh, also last night, I tweeted to my two senators, Ron Wyden and Jeff Merkley, that I was getting tired of the, I called it the, uh, basically the appeasement strategy, the Neville Chamberlain strategy, which is a little harsh. I'll just tell you right up front that the Biden administration is pursuing. I was speaking specifically of the Polish planes. I watched on Chris Hayes' show, the former Supreme Commander of NATO Forces, General, I think it's Zafridis is how it's pronounced, during Obama. This is like from 2009 to 2012 or 2013. And I mean, this was the guy who ran NATO. And he said, NATO should be providing those Polish planes to the Ukrainian pilots. On Twitter, Ted Lieu, a congressman from California for whom I have a lot of respect, I retweeted his tweet last night. He's saying those Polish planes should be in the air right now. Uh, there are others. Uh, there's a great post uh, Marcos Molises wrote over at uh, Daily Kos saying that would be crazy. Uh, they'd be flying coffins. You've got, you know, really, really rigorous Russian air defense, and Russia can protect the air over Ukraine from Russian territory. They don't even have to go into Ukraine to do it. So it'd be a suicide mission. Well, that may be. And, and you know, like I've said on this program before, I'll, I'll leave it to people who have better information than me, but, I, but ex just expressing my personal opinion, I think that uh, these planes should be in the air. Uh, I, 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 and I think the world, I mean, the world is just horrified by this. And, and if we watch Ukraine go down, and if we watch Zelensky get murdered or arrested, um, I, you know, I, I woke up at 3.30 this morning, I couldn't get back to sleep. It was just like, this, this is such a crisis and such a horror as, the, as you know, uh, this, another bomb cyclone now is dipping down over Ukraine you know, super, super cold weather that's just going to kill a lot of people. Anyhow, Brian and Squim, Washington. Hey, Brian, what's on your mind today? Hey, I totally agree. Those jets should be flying in the air. I don't understand all of this dissembling regarding how difficult it would be, the logistics. I, I guess the Ukrainians have pilots that know how to fly yeah. this particular aircraft. That's all they know how to fly, in fact, yeah, because the Ukrainian yeah. Air Force is all MiGs. Why don't they just go into Poland and have them fueled up and fly them in themselves? Well, Poland won't allow that to happen. They don't want to take the blame for Poland. it. They want it to fall on us. And and I, you know, I, I think we should call Putin's bluff. But, you know, I get it that there's, a, you know, I got in a conversation with a couple of people last night on Twitter, and then I kind of abandoned it, um, who were saying, you know, do you really want to risk nuclear war? And up until the last couple of days, I've been pretty vocal in saying, no, I don't want to risk nuclear war. I don't think, though, that Putin is going to use strategic nuclear missiles against us. I don't think it's out of, out of the realm of possibility that he'll use battlefield nukes. 
Or, I mean, you've got the State Department now warning that, that he's setting up a false flag operation as an excuse to use chemical weapons, which he has used in Syria and he used in Grozny. So uh, we'll see. I, I interrupted you, though, Brian. Finish your thought. I'm sorry. Well, you know, I don't see the difference between bringing in weapons via rail or heavy truck or air. Yeah. You know, it's all the same. And what's the difference between downing a Russian aircraft with a stinger versus an air-to-air missile? Right, and we've it's and they've already downed a bunch of them with stingers that we provided. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and what, what's the justification to say that this is going to further antagonize Putin? It does not make any sense. I just, I just, I don't know. I don't. You can't really say that the the uh, <clears throat> the people who are in command at NATO are cowardly, but they're they're not they're not listening. They're, you know, I watched this interview with Zelensky this morning. This is a drowning man. Yeah. You would reach over and give him a hand to get up onto onto shore. You would and think. And that is exactly what we need to do. You would think. I agree. Uh, Brian, thank you for the call. Dustin in Eagle Bend, Minnesota. Hey, Dustin, what's up? So can the Biden administration, even though we're experiencing high gas prices right now all across the board, is there a way that he can lower the gas prices from foreign areas? Well, the gas prices in the United States are the result of gas companies, refineries and gasoline distributors and gasoline retailers in the United States just doing whatever they can. There's, Sean was telling me last week there's a gas station right down the street from where she lives that was over $6 a gallon. It was a shell station. And apparently, 625 yeah. you said? 620 629 And oh. apparently somebody complained to Shell, and they dropped it down to five and change now. Um, but, you know, it's like they're, they're just, there's this price gouging left and right. And the problem, Dustin, is, you know, if there is, you know, if, if, if the Biden administration were to intervene in the prices, the, the oil companies would just slow down the flow of gasoline, and then you'd have long lines, which is what Nixon and Carter had to deal with in 73 and 79, you know, uh, where, the, where the oil was cut off. Well, that was because we were so dependent on foreign oil. Now we've got plenty of oil domestically. So it, it would be just a punishment tactic by the oil companies, but I guarantee you they would do it. And, and that's, okay. that's and a then, problem. Okay, and then my last question is, does, B, does the Koch brothers own BP? No, they don't. No, they've got, uh, it's called Coke Industries is what they own. And uh, they've got a website. You can check it out. They, they used to own that main refinery down in Texas, I believe, that refines the, the Keystone uh, pipeline uh, fuel. I'm not sure if they sold it or not. We'll be right back. Pat in Waterloo, Iowa. Hey, Pat, what's on your mind? Yeah, Mr. Hartman, I just wanted to tell you thank you. You've got a great program, very progressive, and I listen to it as often as I can. Thank but you. my question is... Uh, watching this is absolutely sickening, and I just don't know why the United States is not or does not um, label Russia a terrorist nation, not only for what they're doing to Ukraine, but for how they are misleading and and lying to their own population. Why is the U.S. not referring and the world not referring to Russia as a terrorist nation and government? Well, we may get there. 
Um, I, you know, I mean, we may get there, but I, I think your point is well taken, Pat. And uh, the problem that we have that the United States has right now, in addition to not wanting to provoke a nuclear conflict, um, which has Europe very uh, worried. I mean, you know, we, I, it's very easy to sit in here in the United States, particularly on the West Coast, to say, oh, uh, you know, if they if they use battlefield nukes, that's, you know, non-conventional weapons, which the U.S. is almost predicting Putin might do. Um, that's not a big deal for us here, but that would be a big deal for Europe. And, and so, you know, number one, they're concerned. But the other problem that we have is that what Russia is doing in Ukraine right now, you know, basically lying to their people about why they needed to invade Ukraine and going into a country that's very, very rich in natural resources is virtually identical to what we did 20 years ago when George W. Bush and, and Dick Cheney lied us into a war with Iraq, who had absolutely nothing to do with 9-11 whatsoever. In fact, Saddam Hussein was an enemy of al-Qaeda. He, 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 anybody from al-Qaeda in Iraq, he tracked him down and put him in prison. He was basically on our side on that thing, but he had 10% of the world's oil reserves. As Dick Cheney said, very important oil reserves. And, uh, you know, so our moral standing to, to proclaim that Russia is a terrorist nation when they're doing essentially what we did 20 years ago in Iraq, although we didn't, you know, the, the, the video that we got of Iraq came from embedded journalists with our soldiers rather than with Iraqi people. But, you know, we produced at least 5 million refugees in Iraq and killed at, at least a couple hundred thousand Iraqis. Um, you know, the, the Iraq is claiming the numbers are in the millions. Um, so it's a tough one. It's a real tough one. And the damage that was done to America by, by that administration lying us into that war, not unlike the damage that was done by the Democratic administration, Lyndon Johnson's in, in, in the 1960s, lying us into the Vietnam War, um, his, is huge. And, it, you know, hopefully the whole world is going to learn a lesson from this. And hopefully America does, too. I thought we had learned from Vietnam. Obviously, we hadn't. But, uh, Pat, thank you for the call. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. And thanks for listening to us there on SiriusXM. I appreciate your kind words. Terry in Ventura, California. Hey, Terry, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Thank you. Tom, uh, one week from now, I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. on a conference, okay? Ted Cruz is running around in the Beltway with the big truckers honking his horns and making a nuisance <laughs> of himself, okay? Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> Seriously? It was in this morning's news. Oh, my God. I don't guess he gets to drive, but he'll be sitting in the passenger seat. It doesn't seat get more pathetic than that, Terry. It really doesn't. I mean, that's, that is so, you know, I had the co-founder of that trucker movement on this program, and it was like, you know, what do you protest to? Oh, I don't know, freedom, tyranny, stuff like that. Really? <laughs> they are so, uh, well, <laughs> won't go there. Yeah. Uh, Tom, my point is, though, uh, Malcolm Nance has a book. I have a great respect for Malcolm Nance. So he has I. a book coming out, paraphrasing the title, They Aim to Kill Us, okay? Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's his book. I think we know what it's about. Uh, I remember I'm very persuaded by Malcolm Nance. In 2016, he talked about all of these gunslingers showing up at polling stations and uh, intimidating voters. We know where that would be, probably black districts. And, and Malcolm Nance says, uh, should I get... Uh, 
a headwind of this, I will be there to counter-protest these people, okay? Because they are aimed to attack our freedoms, okay? My point, are these truckers, when I am in Washington, D.C., going, I have a, I've had these anti-masker confrontations like in Trader Joe's. I have very limited patience for their stupidity, okay? Mm-hmm. My point, I believe if this is a Munich 1929 moment, I know a lot of them are gun nut crazy, and we have to be careful, but if you don't counter-protest the protesters, they think they're the only voice in town. Speaking of uh, Trump at the pump, I think I should. I will have my sign counter-protesting these protesters. Uh, Nation magazine last week had a uh, had a comic strip that said two helmet, uh, two uh, astronauts were floating above the planet Earth. And one said to the other, I am tired of these helmet mandates. So <laughs> that yeah. will be my Well, you know, they used to complain about seatbelt mandates. I, you know, I remember in the 70s in Michigan when, when there, there were, you know, when they were trying to put the seatbelt law into effect, people driving around without seatbelts defying the police to stop them. I mean, you know, literally convoys. I mean, I, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, Terry, but it was a big deal. And, and it was the same it was the same wackadoodle Republicans who were who were all upset about seatbelt mandates. It's the new tyranny. So, right. you know, I, 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 my, my, my take on it, Terry, is they're best ignored. I, you know, I, I think they're it's a clown show. Right. So if they ruin my stay in Washington, D.C. and uh, their trucks are everywhere with the horn honking. If you well, were uh, I, if you lived in that area, you would take it passively, Tom. I, it's not taking it passively. I don't think that they're, I mean, they're just driving in circles on the, on the, on the beltway, you know, around the city uh, at 45 miles an hour at the minimum speed. So they're slowing traffic down a little. That's, uh, that's about all they're doing. And uh, I hope so. it, yeah, I, I don't think that you're going to have a problem there. They're, they, you know, it, it's like I said, it's just, it's a clown show. They're, they're just out saying, notice me, notice me. And, and they're complaining about the price of gasoline by burning mind-boggling amounts of gasoline. It's really, really <laughs> pathetic. Terry, I gotta run, but I, thank you for the call. Good luck you, on Tom. your trip. I hope it works out well. Thank you, Tom. Okay, good talking to you. Let's stick around. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? or the friends you find along the way. Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? 
In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. One of the Florida newspapers, this is the editorial board of the Miami Herald. I believe it's the largest statewide newspaper in, in Florida. And a national newspaper, like the Los Angeles Times or the New York Times. The editorial board has published an op-ed saying that the Florida Republicans have a problem with right-wing extremism. This is remarkable. They're using basically the news story that's the news hook on which this editorial hangs is about how Enrique Tarrio, the uh, leader of the Proud Boys, who's a Floridian, was just indicted for seditious conspiracy. And they note, quote, Tario's indictment is just the latest in a series of extremist connections to Florida and to Republicans. This is the editorial board of the Miami Herald. As of January, they wrote, more Floridians have been charged in the January 6th riots than any other, other, other state. National figures with strong political connections are from Florida, including Roger Stone, a Donald Trump pal who is associated with both Proud Boys and Oath Keepers. And I would add Donald Trump himself. He has, you know, renounced his um, uh, residency in New York and, and, become a New York and become a Florida resident. Presumably because in Florida, if you declare bankruptcy, the one thing they can't take away from you is your principal home, your principal residence. And he's claiming Mar-a-Lago is that. The citizens of the uh, surrounding areas around Mar-a-Lago, Palm Beach, are saying, uh, no, you can't have a residence that is also a hotel. That's a place of business. That's not a residence. Uh, Trump is claiming he can. <laughs> we'll see how that shakes out, but whatever. But that, then they also, the, the newspaper, the Miami Held, also pointed out that, you know, they just had, they just hosted in Orlando the CPAC convention where, you know, they were all loving on Trump and on Putin. And this uh, AFPAC, uh, you know, America First Political Action Committee uh, convention just down the road from CPAC, where you had Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar taking part in these uh, anti-Semitic white nationalist uh, rants and, and, and that sort of thing. You know, it's just, it is, it's pretty amazing. It's really, it's really amazing. The board, uh, the, again, this is the editorial board of the Miami Herald, said Republicans will no doubt continue to deny they have a white supremacy problem. And we can add this episode to the shameful list of extremist connections already distinguishing Florida. You know, Ron, Ron DeSantis wants to be president. And, you know, 70, I think it's 73, 74% of America is white people. And Ron DeSantis knows that a lot of those white people are, are racists, just, you know, openly, tribally. And uh, this has been the, the pitch, the appeal from the Republican Party ever since 1968 when, when Richard Nixon rolled out a Southern strategy. And then it was picked up by, by, Donald, by, uh, excuse me, by Ronald Reagan when the first speech he gave as a candidate for president of the United States after he received the nomination at the Republican convention in 1980, the first official speech he gave was at the, is it Nebosha? I can never get the pronunciation right, County Fair in Philadelphia, near Philadelphia, Mississippi, right, right down the road, uh, very close to where the three civil rights workers, uh, Schwarmer, uh, Cheney, and Goodman were murdered, brutally murdered um, in, by, in, by local Mississippi police, who, by the way, got off in their trial. An all-white jury said, yeah, that's all right. 
That was Reagan's first speech. And what was his speech about? It was an all-white audience, a couple thousand, a little over 10,000 people, all-white audience. And the essence of his speech was states' rights. States should have the power to, uh, you know, enable discrimination if they want, essentially. I mean, Reagan didn't say it literally. He used the phrase states' rights repeatedly, though. And then, of course, Don Jr. gave his swan, not swan song, what's your premiere, your opening act, you know, his, his coming out speech, as it were, Don Jr., as a political agent for his father. He gave that speech at the same county fair in the same place in Mississippi down the road from where they murdered the three civil rights workers and pointed out that he was giving his speech, first speech the same place Ronald Reagan did. I mean, this is white supremacy on steroids. So then you know, Reagan picked that up, and then he was followed by George Herbert Walker Bush, his vice president, who became president by attacking Michael Dukakis with the Willie Horton ads. And the Willie Horton ads, you know, Willie Horton had been let out of prison, and he raped and murdered a white woman. He was a black guy. And he had been let out of prison based on a policy that was put into place by the previous Republican governor. Mike Dukakis was then the current Democratic governor of Massachusetts. But Bush attacked Dukakis for Willie Horton, even though, as I said, Willie Horton was let out of jail by the previous Republican governor, or at least his policy. And so, you know, it was racism 101 for George Herbert Walker Bush. It got him the White House. And then, you know, of course, you've got uh, seven years of relentless Muslim bashing by, by George W. Bush and people in his administration. And, uh, but then Donald Trump came back and just put it back on steroids again. I mean, at least George W. Bush had Condi Rice. He had some black faces in his administration. He wasn't, it wasn't like Trump, where it's like, it's all white people, that's it, sorry. And, uh, you know, Trump came into office and, and said, you know, it's all about race. So, you know, the, 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 the murderers from Mexico and the, and the S-hole countries and all this kind of stuff. This is real. This is real what these people are doing. Uh, this, this white nationalist problem. And, and, the, and the consequence of it is that they are radicalizing white people around the country to commit crimes against people of color. We're seeing hate crimes up. We're seeing, you know, violence up. We're seeing murders up. And, and you've got this whole movement now that's agitating for a second civil war. This is not a healthy thing for this country. It's very much not a healthy thing for this country. I get it that it might get some Republicans elected, but you would think that they would want to put country above party. They don't. They just don't. So uh, pick up some of your phone calls here. Terry in Mount Prospect, Illinois. Hey, Terry, thanks for listening to WCPT. What's on your mind today? Oh, yeah. Hi. I listen to your show a lot, so thanks. Thank you. Um, I've been watching watching the news, and, you know, like everyone, I'm just horrified at this carnage going on in Ukraine. And so far, I've agreed to the fact that we shouldn't have the snowfly zone because, you know, quote, it might start World War III. But now that they have control of, you know, they cut the electricity to, I guess, a nuclear power plant, which is very, obviously, even more dangerous. Insane. And also... Yeah, and also, but the Russian army seems to not be in good shape at all. So I think we need to do a 180. I think we need to, you know, get some jets in there, say it's not a war, whatever it takes. But I think we need to do something like now. I agree. I agree. Those those Polish planes should be in the air right now over Ukraine. Yeah. Um, in my yeah, humble opinion, so. I you know, and I realize that it's an escalation. And I realize that I've got people to my left calling me a warmonger for saying that. 
but uh, you know, I have read history and I know what happens when you let wannabe dictators you know, take over countries. It's, it's an old, old story, particularly in Europe. So yeah, Terry, oh, I'm with you. Yeah. I agree. So what can we do? Should we just call our, you know, representatives and if, senators? If and, that's your opinion, yes, because that's where that's yeah. where the decision, you know, if, if uh, and, and I'm I'm not calling for people to do that because I am trying to mm -hmm. defer to the Biden administration, you know, on the assumption that they know more than I do and they don't want to do this. But uh, on the other hand, I think, you know, if, if this is your opinion, Terry, uh, that uh, by all means, the, the phone number for Congress mm -hmm. for their switchboard is 202-225-3121. And you just give them your, the name of your two senators or your member of the House and you're off to the races. Terry, I got to move along. Right. Thank you for the call. I got to tell you about the uh, education secretary, U.S. education secretary, talking about the Florida don't say gay bill. And then I'll continue picking up your phone calls on the other side of this. You know, the Florida Senate passed the don't say gay bill. And uh, all across Florida now, you've got high school students coming out chanting, we say gay and things like that. But now Michael Cardona, the U.S. Secretary of Education, has issued a, uh, essentially a warning to Florida uh, about this specifically. He, he, this is a statement that he made. He said, quote, the Department of Education has made clear that all schools receiving federal funding, which, by the way, would be all the Florida public schools, that all schools receiving federal funding must follow federal civil rights law, including Title IX's protections against discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. And then he, he went even farther. He said, we stand with our LGBTQ plus students in Florida and across the country and urge Florida's leaders to make sure all their students are protected and supported. He went on to say, Parents across the country are looking to national, state, and district leaders to support our nation's students, to help them recover from the pandemic, and to provide them the academic and mental health supports they need. Instead, leaders in Florida are prioritizing hateful bills that hurt some of the students most in need. Amen. Only 40% of Floridians uh, support the don't say gay bill, by the way. Uh, meanwhile, down in Florida, You've got a uh, Florida legislator. This is State Senator Ileon Garcia, who says all kinds of crazy stuff like, I'm not an illegal. Why should I get upset about what Trump says about illegals? Or Trump, he's like a parent. When parents want to get their point across, they yell. That's what Trump's doing. This is a, a Trumpy Republican state senator who came out Tuesday morning on the Senate floor as they were passing this piece, this don't say gay bill, as they were passing this piece of legislation came out and said, quote, gay is not a permanent thing. LGBT is not a permanent thing. Right. We're back to that old argument. Oh, it's just a choice. People are just choosing to be gay. They're, they could choose to be straight. They could choose to, you know. Oh, my God. I thought that we were way past this. I thought that we were so far... By the way, Senator Garcia won her seat by just 34 votes. Uh, I don't know if this is going to help her or hurt her in, in the elections coming up this fall. Uh, her, her history is that she served as the deputy press secretary for the Department of Homeland Security under Donald Trump before giving, being given that job, or she was given that job by the Trump administration as a kind of a tip of the hat and a thank you for her having started a Florida group called Latinas for Trump 
She later served as the Trump campaign's communications director for Latino outreach. So we've got a 100% fully Trumpy uh, Republican down in Florida saying, oh yeah, it's just a choice. You can choose something different and that's what we should be teaching our kids in school and or we shouldn't even be talking about it at all. And, and uh, you know, if these kids are in, in a crisis because of their, their gender identity, uh, screw them. You know, just you know, let her commit suicide. It doesn't matter. You know, of course, gay students are, have the highest suicide risk in the nation. One of the things that we know about this. And uh, this, this is just criminal. The legislation is just criminal. It is the, the, the whole thing. I mean, and the idea that a political party is using bigotry and discrimination as their principal device to leverage themselves into political power is breathtaking. It's just breathtaking. And that it would happen in the United States of America. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And on the line with us is Florida State Senator Chevron Jones, Ph.D., uh, the executive director of the Florida Reading Corps, former chemistry teacher, Chevron Jones, S-H-E-V-R-I-N, Jones.com is his website. Chevron Jones is also uh, his Twitter handle. Uh, Senator Jones, welcome to the program. Uh, the don't say gay bill has now gone to uh, Governor DeSantis's desk. Uh, there's a new one uh, popping up in Georgia that uh, is, is starting the legislative process. I'm guessing we're going to start seeing these all over the country. You spoke eloquently about this on the floor of the uh, Florida Senate. Uh, welcome to the program, first of all, and tell us your take on this bill and why it's so meaningful to you. Thank you so much, Don, for for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, so we just passed the uh, the parental rights and education uh, bill, uh, also known as the Don't Say Gay bill here in Florida. Uh, and uh, the the one thing, the one provision that I believe a lot of uh, my colleagues and some members from the other side of the aisle have a problem with is one, the cause of action that is included within the bill, um, but also the portion which is in section three uh, that speaks of the discouraging of conversations with, uh, with students about sexual orientation and gender identity, which is where the don't say gay portion has come from. I do want to make sure that people understand that nowhere uh, do we agree that a child in kindergarten, first, second, or third grade uh, should be taught about uh, uh, sex, uh, sexuality or, uh, or sex at all? Uh, and so I want to debunk that myth that people are, uh, that are spearing. Uh, the one thing that we are speaking of is the or age appropriate in Section 3 of the bill to where we know that that is a problem because we did, we did not define what or age appropriate mean, uh, although amendments were 
were uh, were filed to deal with and define what age appropriate means, uh, it was not taken by my Republican colleagues. It was your amendment, in fact, was it not? It was. It was absolutely my, my amendment um, because and and um, often um, I, we will file amendments just to make a point or to message the uh, the bill differently. Uh, but this wasn't the case. Uh, I filed one amendment for that very purpose. I filed one amendment to make it clear that our goal is if, if your goal is to do what you say you want the bill to do, then accept this amendment to where you ban any conversation based off of sexual orientation, sexual identity, or I mean, or gender identity, yeah. or anything. Uh, but it wasn't accepted because uh, that's not just what the bill was about. And as a matter of fact, the bill sponsor, he let the cat out of the bag um, in his debate to make it clear what this bill was about because he was asked by Senator Polsky. And I quote, he said that schools are trying to social engineer children into becoming gay. And this this trend that's constantly happening to make kids think that they are celebrities. That was his words. Uh, and wow. so I think that we know exactly what the bill intended tensions are. And they can't say anything less because the bill sponsor himself said what it is. Right. You know, the, the years of, of school, not necessarily those very first years, but I mean, I remember being seven, eight years old and having a crush on on Linda Moret, you know, <laughs> another girl in my class. I kind of knew that I was straight. I mean, I didn't put it in that frame because it just right. didn't occur to me to. But, you know, when I was seven years old, I mean, th this is not something that, you know, I some great agonizing decision that you go through or right. whatever. I mean, and you as the as the first I believe you're the first openly out gay member of the Florida Senate. Um, I am, this, yeah. this has got to be really personal for you. You want to speak to that? Yeah, the, you know, the, the personal part of it was that there were children who were here um, in the building all week, as a matter of fact, for the past two weeks, who were coming to share their experiences along with their parents, along with their friends. Um, and that's who I was thinking about because I, I was thinking about the young Chevron who did not have that outlet, who did not have a supportive uh, a supportive person to share this with. Although I came from a, from a very, very, very loving household, uh, my parents are, my, my dad is a pastor and I just was raising a very Christian household. And so this wasn't a conversation that um, I knew I could not go to my parents about. Uh, and so, but to see these children in their vulnerability in this moment and them stepping out and saying that here's my truth uh, and I want to advocate just not for me, but for the child who can't come up here. That's who I thought about in my speech. And that's who I thought about even in questioning, uh, even trying to convey a message to my colleagues that when we are doing legislation like this, there are people on the other side of this legislation who have to live what we are, what we are pushing in the name of parental rights. Be honest. We know, they know, it, this had nothing to do with parental rights. As a matter of fact, behind the scenes, my Republican colleagues have made it clear uh, of what it was because they do, they did not, want, do not, excuse me, want to continue uh, uh, supporting, quote unquote, uh, the homosexual agenda. And that is exactly what many of them have said behind the scenes. All right. So this is really about bigotry. I mean, you know, this is about institutionalizing bigotry um, and, and this bizarre notion. I, I believe it was one of your colleagues. If uh, this story was a couple of days ago that uh, I, I talked about it on the air, um, I, but I may have the state wrong, who uh, it just came right out and said, you know, being gay is a choice. 
and you, we just have yep. to teach children not to make that choice. And, and I, you know, I thought we left that in the dust a decade ago, at least. Um, you, 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 would think, you would think so, considering the Marriage Equality Act has passed and, uh, I mean, states all across the country uh, are marrying same-sex couples. Uh, but she, she went a step further. She said that uh, uh, moments, moments like these are happy hour conversations. And she also um, uh, made it clear that being gay is not permanent. Right. Uh, and yeah, mean, that was the phrase. Yeah. That's the phrase. Yep. Uh, yep. It's 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 astonishing. It's truly astonishing. So uh, we're we're speaking with uh, Dr. Chevron Jones, Chevron Jones, uh, the uh, uh, Democrat representing District 35 in the Florida State Senate, and the executive director of the Florida Reading Corps, former chem chemistry teacher, uh, Chevron Jones, S H E V R I N Jones uh, dot com on the internet, and Chevron Jones on Twitter. And I just followed you, in fact. Um, I appreciate that, and, and, and retweeted one of your <laughs> tweets uh, while you were talking. Um, but uh, how, where, where do you go from here? I mean, you know, the Florida legislature has done this. The Georgia legislature is fixing to do it. It's probably going to be something that uh, Republican-controlled legislatures around the country are going to be doing heading into the fall election because uh, it, it appears to appeal to the, uh, to the fundamentalist, largely white Christian base that you know is well marinated in racism and bigotry and homophobia and misogyny uh where, where do you go from here yeah. well here's what i will i do know that you will see this in court uh because the attorneys themselves have made it clear uh who those who are attorneys within the state legislature they said that you know the the bill sponsor he he basically made the case that this is it this bill is discriminatory on the surface uh, so you can definitely see this bill going to court, uh, but you can also see a you will also see an uprising of children uh, and their parents and allies and organizations from all across the state of Florida uh, who will organize and they're going to mobilize and lead into the um, in, into the um, uh, into the election cycle coming up in a, in a couple of months. Uh, people are not just going to sit back and allow you to railroad their children and their family members. Uh, people will people will use this as opportunity as fuel um, to 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 put boots on the ground. And even if the boots on the ground don't prevail this year, I promise you, there is a groundswell that's happening that is saying no to bigotry. Yeah, and a, and a fine thing it is, Dr. Jones, Senator Jones. Thank you so much for dropping by. It's been thank great you, meeting and great talking with you. Thank you, you sir. Bye bye. So uh, the Florida House has now passed this uh, bill. It first passed the Senate. Now it's going to the governor of Florida. This is a brand new piece of legislation. In fact, I probably should have asked uh, Chef Jones about it while he was on the program. But it's a bill that would create a police force dedicated to policing elections to prevent election fraud, because that's such a problem, you know. There were like, what, 25 cases caught in the last election out of hundreds of millions of votes cast. But it would create an Office of Election Crimes and Security under the Florida Department of State. And it would require the governor to appoint a group of special officers from the Florida Department of Law Enforcement who would be tasked with pursuing the election law violations. Um, the, a Democrat, uh, Representative uh, Fentrice Driscoll, said, quote, this perpetuates the concept that they shouldn't be able to trust what happens in government. That the whole point of this, basically the whole point of this legislation is to say to Florida voters, you know, our elections aren't all that safe, they're not all that secure, and so if a Democrat wins and we tell you it's fraud, it probably is, and we can, you know, overturn the election and, and do what we want. 
and we can make it much, much harder for you to vote. And if we're going to purge, you know, like, like Jeb Bush did just in time for his brother running for president in 2000, Jeb, Jeb Bush purged 90,000 African-Americans off the voting rolls in Florida in the months, uh, along with Catherine Harris, the secretary of state, in the months before that election, an election that George W. Bush won by 537 votes. If, if we're going to do that, we're justified in doing that because there's so much fraud. So uh, back to this uh, Fentrista Skell, this uh, Democratic member of the House, said it perpetuates this concept that they shouldn't be able to trust what happens in government. This is a monster that will eat us alive if we let it. It's true. It also increases the penalties for if, if you want to, you know, if, if, if a friend or a neighbor or a relative of yours um, you know, can't get out of the house to get their ballot back to the uh, to to a to a ballot drop box or to uh, the Secretary of State's office. If you carry it, it makes it a felony. It raises that that to a, the crime of felony for delivering somebody else's ballot. Republicans call this ballot harvesting, right? Like like you know, kidney harvesting or something. Um, it also requires election supervisors to more frequently purge their voting lists. Gee, what a surprise! And the question in my mind is, uh, with these cops, are they going to be showing up at polling places, intimidating voters? Or are they just going to let the Proud Boys do that? Or, or one of these other, uh, you know, the, the, I mean, the Republican Party is openly soliciting armed and large people <laughs> to, to be election monitors all across the country. How's that going to play out? By the way, we're seeing in Texas that the uh, new Texas law that requires you to remember the number that you use to certify your citizenship and whatnot when you first register to vote, whether you use your social security number or your driver's license number or your passport number, you have to remember that number and you have to write it on your ballot. And if you don't remember it correctly, if you don't remember which number you used and if you just used a, you know, a few of the digits or all the digits, whatever it may be, that's causing about a third of all the ballots in Texas now to be rejected, the mail-in ballots and the ballot requests. Uh, Ron DeSantis just signed legislation that would do the same thing, or this legislation would do the same thing. So, you know, it's, it's nuts. The other thing I wanted to flag for you is this 31-year-old, uh, th this woman is extraordinary, uh, Brittany Griner. And she is, she's a an out lesbian. She is uh, openly gay. She is uh, uh, one of the world's great basketball players. Very well respected in her sport. She was a, an, an Olympian for the United States. Uh, played professional basketball in the United States. Uh, however, men in the United States who play professional basketball make millions. Women, she, she maxed out at about 200000 a year. And so, uh, you know, she was working, she was playing basketball in foreign leagues, including a Russian league, or specifically a Russian league. And on her way flying home from one of those games, she was with the WNBA's uh, Phoenix Mercury team, or maybe still is. The Russians said that they found uh, pot vape cartridges in her bag. Now, I believe she has said that they were not hers, that they, if they were there, they were planted there. But we don't know enough about this, frankly. And, and I think that she is becoming a, uh, a hostage. And uh, Democratic Re Representative John Garamendi, who serves on the House Armed Services Committee, said getting her home to safely, safety might be very difficult because our diplomatic relations with Russia right now are essentially non-existent. And uh, Evelyn Farkas, a former high-ranking official at the Pentagon, uh, over, reporting over at uh, Yahoo Sports, 
said that, uh, quote, Griner is becoming a high-profile high hostage who could be used as leverage. So, uh, you know, I've shared with you now pretty much everything that I can find about her. Uh, there's an amazing Wikipedia page about her career as a, as a basketball star, really worth checking out. We'll be back with more of the news and more of my thoughts and yours in this uh, kind of national town hall meeting we have here every day on the Tom Hartman program. And in the meantime, don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport. Never was intended to be. It requires you. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.